Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome, folks, to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Houston, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. Can you please tell us about our topic and guest for this episode? Hi, Grant. Yes, I'm excited to tell you that we're still on the paper trail, so to speak. We're continuing with our exploration of the merits of paper-based packaging. And today we'll be talking to the managing director of one of Australia's foremost paper-based packaging companies, Tetra Pak, whose company name, as you might know, Grant, is synonymous with aseptic packaging for a variety of liquid food products some of which have been on the shelves for many years. Some will be very familiar to you. Now, we're joined today by Andrew Pooch, who heads up the Oceania business of Tetra Pak, and he's here with us in the studio. Welcome, Andrew. Hello, Lindy. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm so glad to have you because it's been a very big year for Tetra Pak in Australia. You've just marked 60 years. So I thought it would be a good idea if we ran through some of the key milestones on the journey so far. And it's always a good place to start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about Tetra Pak's establishment um, in general and also here in Australia? Well, Lindy, any story about Tetra Pak, we need to look at the company's founder, Reuben Rousing. He, he attended university in the United States before World War II, and he saw the emergence of self-service retail, and he realised that packaging that was appropriate for self-service retail was also going to emerge across the Atlantic. And he set about filling that market opportunity when he returned to Europe. So the global company was established in, in 1952, and they were pioneers of bringing a totally new technology to package food and distribute it safely. Then within six years, we were able to establish a presence in Australia. And by the end of the, the 50s, we already had installations in Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth. Um, the latter installations at Brown's Dairy, who are actually still a customer of ours today. Yes, um, in fact, I recall, Andrew, that Brown's Dairy made headlines in packaging news uh, when it became the first dairy in Australia to move to a fully renewable milk carton. I believe that was uh, Tetra Pak's milk carton. So how about we digress a bit and talk about this pack and this move by Brown's? Sure. The package we call the Tetra Rex plant-based is the world's first fully renewable carton. The entire carton is made from responsibly sourced paperboard and plant-based materials to provide the plastic. The benefit of using renewable resources is, of course, much lower carbon footprint than fossil-based uh, plastic or other materials, which means that this package has got a much lower um, climate impact and preserves resources. Our company originally was founded on the idea that a package should save more than it costs. And what we meant by that was we must always look how we can reduce the environmental footprint of all of our products and all of our services and make sure we're always um, looking at what other actions we can do um, to help drive a sustainable future without compromising on food safety or food quality. And for us, I think it's really great when you can share the same sort of sustainability values as your customers have. And that's why Browns has been great to work with. Yeah, well, Brown certainly seems to have been making a success of that. And yes, as you say, it's part of their ethos, the whole drive towards a 
fully sustainable uh, situation at their dairy. Well, let's go back again into history, though. Uh, While the company was progressing the dairy side of its business in the early 60s, there was an iconic pack that came onto market. It was called the Sunny Boy Ice Lolly. And I think that that made Tetra Pak a household name, if I, I recall you telling me recently. And I'm sure many listeners will remember it, although it's not around anymore. What can you tell us about this pack and what it represented in the Tetra Pak mix? Well, the the first package that Tetra Pak made was the tetrahedron-shaped package, so the triangle-shaped package. We call that Tetra Classic. We also use this package not not just for milk, but into other products like the Sunny Boy Ice Lolly. It's really quite interesting that this this pack became so iconic in Australia as a treat for for kids. It lasted maybe 30 or, or even 40 years. So the technology that uh, we used for Sunny Boy, we still use today to make UHT milk and other aseptic products. So that technology lets food products last for about six months without refrigeration. It was an important part of developing the market in Australia back then and still continues to be important today in Australia, but also for products we export out of Australia. So um, you touched there on dairy products. So dairy milk products have always been a big market for Tetra Pak. Is that right? Um, pasteurized to a lesser extent, more latterly UHT. Can you give us a quick summary of your packaging um, in the dairy space? Sure. Well, if we look at the pasteurized milk market first, so the, the domestic milk market in Australia, you know, in the in the 60s or up until the 60s, it was really dominated by um, glass packaging. During the 60s, we were able to introduce the, the gable top carton. Um, and by the, the early 70s, around 20% of the pasteurized milk in Australia was in cartons. During the 1980s, we saw glass bottles drop down to only about 2% of the market. But of course, another package entered into that market as well, which was the HDE plastic bottle um, and carton share decline. So we've still got a small presence in the pasteurised milk market today, but Australian consumers have decided that the package they prefer for milk is an HDP bottle with a handle on it. The market that we have really um, actively pursued is using our aseptic processing and packaging technology for UHT milk. So this has been around, as I said, for more than 50 years. And in Australia, it's used in the domestic market, but also more and more in the export market because people have seen the important role it can play in the preservation and quality and safety of food. So during the 80s, we started to see a lot of other beverage segments start to take advantage of UHT technology. People will remember the the brand Just Juice, which was first launched in in our packs, um, still on the shelves today in Australia. And then in the 90s, we were able to work with a customer to introduce the first soya milk, the first UHD soya milk in Australia for Australian natural products. And that package is also, or that product is also still on the market today in Australia. Yeah, well, plant-based milks um, as well are, are joining soy milks, vying for shelf space. So it's it's quite an interesting development and certainly gro- uh, probably, as I assume, Andrew, a, a growing area for you. Now, we've we've talked a fair bit about packaging, but of course, processing is also a big part of the Tetra Pak business today. Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, the, the 90s was a really interesting time for Tetra Pak. Um, for a long time, we'd worked alongside another Swedish company called Alfa Laval, um, and the owners of Tetra Pak um, decided to buy Alfa Laval in the early 90s. Now, at that time, Alfa Laval did a lot of work 
on farm with dairy farmers. They worked on on milk collection. Uh, they did a lot of things uh, with milk processing, and they also did processing for other industries and other parts of the food industry. So when the owners of Tetra Pak bought Alpha Laval and put the two companies together, suddenly we had one company that could do milk all the way from cow through to consumer. And I think it's one of our real strengths today. We like to say that we see ourselves as an end-to-end solution provider, providing the complete product and also complete traceability through the entire supply chain. And I think for us, it's one of the most significant changes in, in the dairy industry. We've seen a real innovation explosion. If you think back to the 60s, as we're talking about, you could maybe get one or two different sorts of milk delivered by the milkman. But if you go to the supermarket today, you see a, a tremendous range of different sorts of liquid milk, different yogurt, different butter, different cheese, different cream, different ice cream. And the beauty of all of these things as technology has advanced is we've been able to tailor products along with our customers to meet specific consumer preferences and needs. The thing for us, Lindy, is our success um, really relies on our customers' success. So if they don't succeed, then we don't either. So it's really important for us to, to work with our customers to explore new opportunities and together um, help create value for our continued mutual success. One of the points I want to pick up on there is um, you talked about tailoring products. And one of the biggest trends that we're seeing across packaging and product development is customization. So if we talk product customization, where do you think that's heading? You know, I, I think product customization or some people say mass customization will be one of the biggest drivers of growth in our industry. You know, more and more consumers are wanting something that they perceive as tailored exactly for their lifestyle or exactly for their health needs. So we've got lots of examples today using technology like ultrafiltration, where we can concentrate up the amount of protein a product has. We've got other processes we can adjust the fat content, and we've got other processes we can add micro-ingredients like lactoferrin. We do these things because consumers have got specific needs that they want products that are going to fulfill. And we see this a lot uh, with consumers in, in Asia. Now, those consumers, they don't mind paying a little bit higher price for things that they perceive are, are good quality, especially when it comes to everyday nutrition. And at the same time, they want to be assured of that quality and the provenance that comes from products coming from Australia and New Zealand. And, and this is especially so for the dairy industry. So I think it's a it's a trend that's going to continue to grow and grow in the future. And um, if we step back into packaging for a bit, in the last two decades, Tetra Pak has turned its attention to other market sectors. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting. If we think about some of the advantages of our, of our packages, that they're lightweight, they're easy to pack, etc., that makes them really ideal for online shopping. And I think we saw during 2020 how um, online shopping grew here in Australia. So when consumers are choosing things online or retailers selling online, of course, they want packages um, that are lightweight and that are easy to pack. So we're seeing a real boom around the world in our packages being used for online shopping. We're also seeing, I think you see this across um, many parts of our industry, we're seeing a really strong trend with consumers starting to think about the effects of packaging on the environment. And whilst 
the one part of, of that is looking at recycling. I think more and more consumers are starting to really look at the total carbon contribution of, of the products that they buy. And for us, there is a clear preference for paper-based packaging, which is great. Our packages also, besides the online shopping, they've started to be used for for products that we um, probably didn't typically see in Australia um, even a few years ago. So things like coconut water, you can now find on shelves here and all the dairy alternatives that, that you mentioned earlier. So soya and almond milk have been around for a while, but we're now starting to see an incredible boom in oat milk, which a lot of people are choosing um, not because of their dietary needs. They just like the taste. Other things recently, uh, we launched water with the American brand Just here in, in 2019. That's packed one by one of our customers here, Slade's beverages. And from Australia, they're exporting that brand uh, to other markets in Asia. So the pack that we've developed uh, for water that that Just is using, we're going to look at introducing along with Slade some other products into the Australian market using that same package. Now, Slades are not just um, focusing on the, on the water market. We're actually partnering with them on some other products as well. And, and I think in the next um, few weeks, you're going to see some new products being produced by Slades that are going into the plant-based beverage market in a different package from Tetra Pak. Well, I certainly look forward to that. I remember very well when you were busy with the Just launch and how lucky I was to go to the Slade's Beverages facility and to see that line in action. Um, that was really impressive. So, Andrew, you've been with Tetra Pak many moons, as we say. <laughs> um, and when you first joined, what, what was the packaging range like um, if you compare it to then to now? Yeah, it's a bit scary, Lindy, when I think back. Um I joined Tetra Pak in the late 1980s, and at that time, we only had four different packages in, in our range. So we had a 200-mil pack and a 250 and a 500 and a one-liter. That was it. If we compare that to today, we've got an incredible variety of shapes and sizes, different ways of opening the pack. And if you use all these combinations, then it adds up um, to the hundreds that we can offer our customers today as well as we have many different types of packaging material depending on the product that our customers want to pack. So it's really quite exciting if I think about how the portfolio um, has developed over those years, more than 30 years that I've worked for Tetra Pak, as we've tried to make sure we cater for all the markets that our customers want to serve. And more importantly, um, the ever complex consumer needs. So we see consumers, as I said before, they're, they're seeking out um, obviously more and more convenience, but they're also starting to think about the environment, you know, what's the carbon contribution of products. It really is becoming sort of excitingly complicated, if, if I could say, but I think uh, we're in a good place um, with the innovation that we can offer our customers, and we're pretty proud of, of the uh, low-carbon circular economy approach that we have to the market. Well, I think you should be. Now, one of those innovations that um, we are looking forward to sometime or other seeing on the market is a package that has been talked about quite a lot. It's called the Tetra Recart, um, and it hasn't come to the market yet. Andrew, can you talk to us about that now? Yeah, sure. If you look at the big package markets in the world, you know, one of the, the biggest pack types is, is the tin can. So, you know, go into a supermarket anywhere in the world and, and you'll see meters and meters of, of tin cans. So Tetra Pak, um, probably more than a decade ago, started to look at this market and say, well, if we could somehow use our technology 
to enter the market, which is traditionally in tin cans, that would be pretty exciting. You know, it's a market that's um, as big as the market that we have today globally. So we developed a, a package called Tetra Recart, which is not a UHT package. It's actually made using a retort process, the same as you would do in the canning industry today. So it's a it's a total alternative to metal cans for anything that you'd find in a metal can or perhaps a glass jar today. So we're talking cooking sauces, soup, any sort of vegetable, fruit. So we think it's got a great um, potential in Australia. We were having some very exciting discussions with companies here before COVID. Unfortunately, um, COVID slowed us down, but um, we're still very, very confident that consumers will be able to buy Tetra Recart packages in Australia, hopefully before the end of this year. Ah. I think, yes, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the best thing, and you know, this is going to be the exciting thing for us to communicate to consumers, is when it comes to life cycle analysis, the Tetra Recart package is just absolutely a superstar compared to glass jars or tin cans. Well, good luck with getting that message across because I think that's um, that there is a slight gap in consumers understanding whether the difference between that whole, that big picture. And that kind of leads me to what I want to talk about now, the thing that's at the heart of every product and process at uh, Tetra Pak, and that's sustainability. And I'm not just talking recycling, obviously. Can you talk to me about the sustainability ethos that you have? Sure. You know, we're a Swedish company and I think people would associate Sweden with being an environmentally responsible country even before it was a thing. You know, one of the mottos that our founder had was that a package should save more than it costs. Now, when when we used that motto in Tetra Pak in the, in the early days, it was about the resources that the package took as well. So we focused on paper-based packaging right from the start. And the reason for that is, is of course, um, trees are, are a renewable resource. So Tetra Pak was talking renewable resources before most people even understood what that was all about. So in one way, we feel that now the world is caught up with what uh, Tetra Pak has been saying all along, but we can't stand still either. We've got to make sure that our sustainability story is not just talking about using renewable resources, but also proving what does that really mean. So we want to make sure that not only do we use renewable resources in our packaging and help our customers there, but we also want to make sure all of the other things that we do, we're doing in a sustainable way. So using the processing knowledge that we have, we're working with our customers to help them use less water in their factories, use less electricity, use less chemicals. So basically anywhere in our manufacturing process or our customers' manufacturing process, we want to make sure that we're reducing the climate impact of everything that we do so that we can continue to feed the planet for the next um, 50 or 100 years. Well, speaking of those next 50 to 100 years, what is next for the industry in your view? Well, globally, um, we've done a lot of work recently on what we call strategy 2030. What do we think is going to happen in the world in this decade? I think the most um, significant thing is there's going to be 1 billion more consumers, and most of them are going to be in Asia or in Africa. And what we see already is, is those consumers, they've got increasing demand for Western-style products. You know, First of all, they want protein, but second, they want Western-style products. And that means that there's huge opportunities for food-producing countries like Australia and New Zealand, um, especially supplying dairy products to those consumers. I think if we look at the journey in China, 
you know, the, the milk consumption is, is growing at a tremendous rate. And no matter how much China does to grow their own milk production, it's going to take many, many years before they can supply their domestic needs. So there's a great role for Oceania to play to keep supplying those consumers in Asia. So if we look at Oceania, we we produce here around 30 billion litres of milk, so three zero billion litres of milk. And most of that today is going to Asia as milk powder. But what we're seeing is, is a preference for consumers in Asia to seek out products that are, are packed at source. So rather than um, having reconstituted milk products, they want to know that this UHT milk was packed at a factory somewhere in Australia and New Zealand. And that for them is a big endorsement of the quality. The other um, thing which is very interesting for Tetra Pak, where I believe we can play a role, is reducing food waste. So some people will comment that, oh, the world's got no way that we can feed another 1 billion consumers. You know, I don't agree with that. I think we could feed another 1 billion consumers today if we all really focused on reducing food waste. So one of the best ways to reduce food waste is at the point of production. So we want to make sure we don't waste food um, before it's processed. We want to make sure that we process it and package it in a way that preserves the nutrition. And we want to get it into the hands of the consumers because any food that's not consumed is wasted. And if you think about the whole journey from production through to disposal, there is a tremendous amount of food waste in the world. No, there certainly is, um, Andrew. And the the work that Tetra Pak is doing um, and has always been doing for that matter is certainly going to help us progress the fight against that massive challenge that we face. And the thread that has run through this discussion today and in previous interviews that I've had with you is that innovation really is the lifeblood um, of Tetra Pak and that you're looking at it from the outside and from the inside. From the outside, you are looking at the trends that are driving the market growth, consumer preferences, and so on. And from the inside, you have drawn on the talents of a diverse spectrum of people from various industries when you've staffed up your teams and um, also the external resources that you look at to do a couple of things, to enrich the R&D process um, in your design and pr of processing and packaging technology, and with the goal in mind of creating factories with equipment and processes that are fit for the future, um, that are sustainable, that support zero waste, that deliver customized targeted products to your consumers with optimum efficiency and the highest level of safety. I hope that summarizes <laughs> what it is that Tetra Pak is all about and what it stands for now and what it has always stood for, Andrew. Yeah, Thanks, Lenny. That was a, a great summary. You know, it, my time in Tetra Pak has been really exciting, and I think the um, the decade ahead is going to be a, exciting as well. So, I'm really grateful that you invited me to come and talk today. Um, look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And I'm looking forward to seeing those new products on shelves, and also possibly getting back down to the Slades Beverages facility to see the new line in action. So, thanks very much for being with us today. Okay. Well, thanks, Lindy. Thanks, Andrew. That was a great discussion. I've got fond memories of discovering Tetra Pak when I first came to Australia in the late 1980s. I'd never seen anything like it before and thought, wow, this is amazing. So great to hear that the uh, innovations continue. But folks, thanks very much for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not too distant future for another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. 
You've been listening to the PKN Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.